ESPN revealed the brackets and matchups for six key MTEs this holiday season. We're going to predict our winners and discuss the biggest storylines on today's Locked On College Basketball. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey folks, welcome into Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there, part of course of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Andy Patton. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day. And of course, shout out to those everyday listeners who are checking us out on YouTube. Today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash college or enter the promo code Locked On College for a free white tech hat with any purchase. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise. Well, folks, we got six MTEs to discuss on today's episode. ESPN revealed the brackets, revealed the matchups, some really, really fun games, of course. Many of these are happening during Feast Week, the week right before Feast Week. We got one that we're going to talk about happening right around Christmas break for those of you who love watching college hoops, even during the Christmas break time. We're going to break down each of those six. We're also going to discuss a pair of graduate transfers who are entering the portal for the second time this offseason. We're going to discuss who they are, what their skills are, and where they might end up to start next season. We're going to lead off here with the NIT season tip-off. Again, talk about six of these new MTEs that were revealed by ESPN this week. The NIT season tip-off is taking place November 23rd and November 24th. It is at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. This is one of the four-teamers. There's a couple eight-teamers, a couple four-teamers that we're going to talk about today. But this is the one we're leading here because it's what I think is probably the most appealing group of teams. Uh, Again, it's only four schools, but it is four high major power six conference teams. I say that with a hint of sadness because one of the teams in this is Oregon State, who is as of next season, still going to be a Power 6 team. It is unclear at this time where they will end up after that, if they are in some amalgamation of Pac-12 Mountain West schools, if they end up somewhere else, hard to say. But the two matchups we're going to be talking about in this NIT season tip-off are Baylor versus Oregon State and Florida versus Pitt. Again, I'm going to make predictions and then discuss storylines. Predictions here fairly chalk Baylor over Oregon State. I think that's perhaps the easiest game of all of the games that we're going to talk about today to predict. Uh, And then I'm going to take Florida over Pitt. Championship game would be Baylor versus Florida. Very, very fun game between two kind of up and coming teams. Obviously, Baylor's been up at the top of the mountain where Florida hasn't quite gotten there under Todd Golden, but I think uh, is moving in the correct direction still. Give me the Bears. Give me Baylor Bears over Florida in that game. I think Baylor's going to be taking home some hardware out of the NIT season tip-off. Storylines, I think the big one is just what is Baylor's new-look roster going to look like. Again, we're talking about third week in November here, so certainly still pretty early in the season. How is Jacoby Walter Walter, excuse me, going to look? They're really highly touted incoming freshmen. They got a lot of guard depth that they have to replace. They lose Adam Flagler to the NBA. They lose LJ Cryer to the transfer portal. He goes to Houston. We'll talk about him momentarily. They, of course, lose Keontae George to the NBA draft as well, but they bring Jacoby Walter in. Uh, They have some other transfers coming in. I'm excited to see what this Baylor roster is going to look like, and then really excited to see what Todd Golden does in year two as the head man for the Florida Gators. I think you know, we, we saw some flashes from that team last year, but he hasn't really had a chance to get a lot of his guys into the building yet. A uh, really big name to watch out for in this tournament is Riley Kugel. 
Kugel's been kind of listed just about everywhere that you see lists for under the radar 2024 draft prospects. You're always seeing Riley Kugel's name. If he's cropping up on every single one of those lists, it's hard to continue to call him under the radar. Regardless, a sophomore standout that I think could really turn some heads next season and getting a chance to see him potentially square off against Baylor, assuming those two teams meet in that championship, which I don't want to discredit Pitt. They absolutely could win that game over Florida, but if they do not, a Baylor versus Florida game is going to give us some really fun, exciting young guard play, and I think is going to be one of the more enticing, exciting uh, championships out of all of these MTEs taking place during Feast Week. Next up, if you're not in the Brooklyn, New York area and you're looking for another tournament to watch in person, Vegas Showdown will be at the Michelob Ultra Arena of course, in Las Vegas, that is also taking place the same dates, November 23rd and November 24th. Another four-team tournament with the first matchup being NC State versus Vanderbilt. Fun matchup of some Power 5 conference teams there, followed by BYU versus Arizona State, which is an odd one as it looks like a Big 12 versus Big 12 matchup. Of course, BYU will actually be in the Big 12 this next season Arizona State will still be competing in the Pac-12 for now, but that is a preview of what will eventually be a conference matchup going forward. Admittedly, not the most exciting conference matchup that the Big 12 is going to have starting in 2024, but a decent conference matchup as well. Uh, Give me NC State over Jerry Stackhouse's Vanderbilt team and give me Arizona State over BYU. That'll be an interesting matchup of two teams that have lost a fair amount of talent from their rosters, but I think I'm going to lean Arizona State right now. So you get NC State over Arizona, or excuse me, NC State and Arizona State facing each other in that championship. Kind of gave it away there, but I am going to take NC State to be taking home some hardware there. Uh, Storylines for me, of course, we already touched on the the Big 12 battle between BYU and Arizona State, a preview of a future conference matchup, I think, at large, just seeing how BYU is competing at that time in the season will give us a good sense of what they might look like as they get into conference play. Again, Arizona State's roster next season looks like a team that wouldn't be super competitive in the Big 12, so if BYU is struggling with Arizona State, it's probably not a great sign for what is to come for them in the Big 12. Uh, MJ Rice is a huge storyline for me too. I think I'm really excited to see what MJ Rice, Kansas transfer, uh, spent one year at Kansas, highly regarded recruit, McDonald's All-American, all that good stuff. Didn't play a ton last year for Kansas because as many of you know, Bill Self does not play very many players. He's similar to Mark Few and Hubert Davis and a handful of other programs that tend to play pretty tight seven or eight man rotations. When you're a team that also brings in multiple five-star McDonald's All-American caliber recruits. You tend to not keep them for very long. MJ Rice goes to NC State. I think he's going to be a really big part of Kevin Keats's team next year, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Vegas showdown is truly a coming-out party for Rice and the Wolfpack. Uh, Also, Arizona State, we acknowledge that they lost a lot of players in the transfer portal, and I'm really interested to see how Bobby Hurley and that squad responds. Uh, They lose both Cambridges. They lose Warren Washington. They lose DJ Horn. DJ Horn going to NC State. So if we do get an NC State-Arizona State championship battle in the Vegas showdown, that will be a very fun storyline to pay attention to. DJ Horn transferring from Arizona State to NC State, getting a chance to bury his old team and potentially take home some hardware. So fun one to check out there. Finally, we got the ESPN Events Invitational before we close out the first segment here. This is taking place at the State Farmhouse at ESPN Wide World of Sports, of course, in Kissimmee, Florida. 
This tournament takes place the same dates, November 23rd and 24th, with that championship on the 26th, because it is an eight-teamer instead of just being four teams like the previous two tournaments have been. This one's got some really fun matchups. You have Penn State versus Texas A&M, Florida Atlantic versus Butler, Iowa State versus VCU, and Boise State versus Virginia Tech. I love the blend of like Big Ten, Big 12, high-caliber programs versus some really quality mid-major teams as well. You kind of got a little bit of everything in the ESPN Invitational here. So uh, I'm going to take Penn State over a and I'm going to take FAU over Butler. That's one of the easier ones to predict here. I have Butler's did a lot of overhauling on their roster, but I'm not confident they're going to turn things around uh, very quickly. Iowa State over VCU. I think that'll be a more competitive game than people might think, but still going with the Cyclones there. And then I'm taking Boise State over Virginia Tech. I really like what we've seen from the Broncos in their uh, international offseason this year. Maybe it's too maybe putting too much stock into that, but Boise State was a good team last year. They bring back a lot of talent. They add some, some talented players as well. Got incoming freshmen coming in that – is going to make a big impact for this team. So then you got Penn State versus FAU. You got Iowa State versus Boise State. I'm going to take Penn State over FAU, which may be a bit of a shock. Penn State, of course, new head coach there, and Mike Rose got a new roster uh, that they're building right now. But I'm going to take Penn State over FAU, Iowa State over Boise State, and then Penn State, the Nittany Lions, taking home the hardware out of the ESPN events invitational is my prediction here on August 9th, well before the season actually gets going. Uh, Storylines, of course, it doesn't look like the bracket is set up for Penn State and VCU to meet necessarily. VCU would have to upset Iowa State, which they could do. Uh, They would also have to upstate the winner of Boise State or Virginia Tech in order to play Penn State in that championship. Of course, these teams could meet in a consolation game as well, I suppose. But that will be the big storyline. Ace Baldwin, VCU's best player last year, followed his head coach, Mike Rhodes, to Penn State. So Penn State, if they did get a chance to play VCU, would be playing their former coach and their former best player in Ace Baldwin. Definitely a storyline to keep an eye on there down in Florida. And then FAU. I think the biggest floor, the biggest storyline really is FAU. They'd be playing in their home state coming off of a, a Final Four appearance last year, an absolutely dominating season. They bring everybody back They bring back their entire starting lineup. Head coach Dusty May is back in the mix as well uh, with John L. Davis and Elijah Martin. This is a really good team, and this is going to be their chance. People should give them the benefit of the doubt after running through the regular season and going to the Final Four, but there are still people who don't necessarily believe this team is that good. They believe that they were a mid-major team that had a fluky run in the NCAA tournament. This is the way you prove that wrong. They're going to go into a eight-team MTE in at ESPN's home and they're going to be favored. That is unusual. I'm leaning Penn State taking this thing home, but if FAU runs through this thing, takes home some hardware, that is as good a proof as you're going to possibly get that this team is legitimately for real and not just playing over their heads. So this is a huge test for FAU. One of the biggest storylines we're going to see in these whole group of MTEs is how FAU responds to being in a tournament with a bunch of I mean, not only high major teams, but a bunch of like NCAA tournament caliber opponents. Many of these teams will be in the 2024 NCAA tournament. And if FAU comes out of this thing with the trophy, there's going to be very little, very few reasons to continue to doubt them going forward. Well, Rick Pitino and St. John's will have a chance to prove themselves early in the season in the Charleston Classic, potentially facing Kelvin Sampson and the Houston Cougars. We're going to break down now, break that down, excuse me, but first... 
Today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel. Football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every single time they win a game in the regular season. So just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you will get bonus bets for every single victory. Look, it's hard to bet against the Kansas City Chiefs, folks. Like, if you want to bet on Kansas City to win the Super Bowl every time they win a regular season game, you are going to get bonus bets, which you can use on spreads. You can use them on player props. You can use them on over-unders and even more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out once again to those everyday listeners. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show. we got more fantastic stuff coming your way later this week. My co-host, Isaac Shade, will be speaking conference realignment with some of our conference show hosts. we got some interviews lined up for next week as well, talking some NIL, talking uh, some with some coaches potentially continuing to talk realignment we got all sorts of good stuff in the can for next week so check us out locked on college basketball for now though we're going to continue our conversation looking at these mtes these very fun thanksgiving time events taking place next season espn revealed all of the matchups so we're going to take a look at who our predictions are starting here with the charleston classic these next two events, the Charleston Classic and the Myrtle Beach Invitational, are both taking place the week before those Feast Week games. So this Charleston Classic will be November 16th, 17th, and 19th will be when those games are taking place. They are taking place at TD Arena in Charleston, South Carolina. And we got some really fun matchups here. This is one of my favorite ones here. You got St. John's versus North Texas. Rick Pitino versus a really good North Texas team that made some serious noise last season. You got Dayton versus LSU. Really fun A-10 matchup or A-10 game for Dayton against a struggling but still fun to watch LSU team that I think made some serious improvements this offseason. You got Houston versus Towson, and then you got Utah versus Wake Forest. So winners here for these first round games, I'm going to take Rick Pitino and the St. John squad over North Texas. I'm going to take Dayton over LSU. I think Dayton is a really dangerous team next year with Deron Holmes back in the mix. I'm taking Houston over Towson. And then I'm going to take Wake Forest over Utah. I think kind of a middle of the pack ACC team versus a middle of the pack Pac-12 team uh, in terms of current roster or current conference alignment right now. Uh, but Wake Forest made some fun additions this offseason. I'm excited about what Hunter Salas could do uh, under coach Steve Forbes. And I think that they're going to be the more polished team early in the season over Utah. So for me, then you got St. John's versus Dayton. I'm going to take Dayton in that one as well. I, I think Rick Pitino's team is going to be really dangerous, but I'm not sure how prepared they're going to be for a, a balanced team with some continuity in Dayton, playing a team in St. John's that doesn't have a whole lot of continuity. I, I trust Rick Pitino's ability to, to put this thing together, but that's really early in the season. And Dayton's going to be one of the best teams that they have played at that point. And then you got Houston versus Wake Forest. I'm taking Samson and the Cougars there. And then you got Houston versus Dayton. And I'm, I'm going with Houston there. They're the obvious favorites coming into this tournament, but I think they're going to come away with it some, with some hardware. The storylines, of course, Every college basketball event that Rick Pitino is involved in, 
He is part of the storyline. He always is. He always will be. That's just part of college basketball lore. And the last 40 years has involved Rick Pitino and seeing this St. John's team with 13 new players and how they adjust, how they adapt, how they handle matchups against North Texas and potentially Dayton or LSU, whoever else they end up playing will be the biggest storyline coming out of this tournament. Uh, some really fun mid-major teams. North Texas, of course, loses their head coach and Grant McCasland, uh, but still a really talented squad that is being built there for the Mean Green. Dayton, of course, a team that I think could be a legitimate dark horse uh, to make some serious noise in March, and they'll get an opportunity to play some really good teams early in the season. And I already mentioned Wake Forest. I think there's a fun storyline there with uh, Steve Forbes and, and bringing in high, uh, bringing in really talented guards. Uh, we've seen it with Jake LaRavia. We've seen it with Alondis Williams, and now we, we might get a chance to see it again with Hunter Salas. And I think this tournament could be a really big breakout time for Salas and Wake Forest. Myrtle Beach Invitational is the other one here that we wanted to discuss. Also taking place in South Carolina at the same time. This one is at the HTC Center in Conway. The same dates, November 16th, 17th, and 19th. Uh, big mid-major tournament here. Some very fun matchups as we have seen throughout this so far. You got Charleston versus Vermont. You got St. Louis versus Wyoming. You got Wichita State versus Coastal Carolina. And then you got Furman versus Liberty, all taking place here in the Myrtle Beach Invitational. My prediction, I got Charleston over Vermont, St. Louis over, over Wyoming, excuse me, Wichita State over Coastal Carolina, and then Furman over Liberty. Sets up semifinals of Charleston versus St. Louis and Wichita State versus Furman. And I'm going to take maybe what you wouldn't expect out of these two. I'm going to take St. Louis pulling off the upset over Charleston, even in South Carolina, and then I'm going to take Wichita State over Furman, setting up a championship between St. Louis, Billikens, and the Shockers of Wichita State. Give me St. Louis taking home the hardware out of the Myrtle Beach Invitational. I think St. Louis is a pretty dangerous team. They lost some talent. Anytime you lose a point guard as talented as Yuri Collins, that is a huge, huge loss for this program. But they brought in multiple Power 5 guys, guys who didn't produce a ton at the Power 5 level, but you know, maybe they'll get somebody who's kind of a diamond in the rough. We've seen it in the past. Uh, I mean, the biggest example last year was Brandon Pajemski going from Illinois to Santa Clara, not saying that St. Louis necessarily has the next Pajemski on their roster, but if they get some production out of some of those guys, uh, I think there's a chance that St. Louis could really surprise some people. Uh, the biggest storylines really is kind of surrounding Charleston. How do they do? They had such a tremendous season last year. Can they keep that up? Can they produce again and prove that it wasn't a fluke? If they're able to survive and beat Vermont, that's a huge start. But if they don't beat St. Louis, that's going to be, it's going to kind of raise some questions about whether this program is going to continue to be as successful as they were last season. Uh, Wyoming, will they take a step forward? They lost basically their entire team in the transfer portal after a disastrous season last year. Can they right the ship or is it going to be a really rough year for them in the Mountain West? This tournament will help give us some insight into that. Furman and Liberty are both mid-major darlings who could make some noise in the NCAA tournament. It'd be a good chance to see them face off against each other in that first round game. Final MTE to discuss here on today's episode of Locked On College Basketball, the Diamond Head Classic. Every other one of these MTEs is taking place in the second or third week of November. This one is back in December, the 21st through the 22nd, with the championship on the 24th. Christmas in Hawaii at the Simplify Arena in Honolulu. Fun games here. you got Nevada versus Temple. 
You got TCU versus Old Dominion, Georgia Tech versus UMass, and Portland versus the home host Hawaii. Predictions for me, I got Nevada beating Temple. I got TCU over Old Dominion. Of course, TCU, the likely favorite coming into this tournament. I got Georgia Tech over UMass and Hawaii taking down the Pilots. Portland, of course, made a lot of friends with how they performed in their MTE last year, which was, of course, the Phil Knight Invitational, the PK-85. Portland made some serious noise, but this is a roster that has lost a lot of that talent. Moses Wood transfers to Washington. They lose a handful of other guys to the portal as well. Uh, and I think Hawaii is going to take that one there. Uh, TCU versus Nevada for a semifinal game. Incidentally, the most exciting game of this tournament if TCU and Nevada face each other. It won't be a championship, but it's probably the most fun game in this series. Uh, and then you got Georgia Tech versus Hawaii. Give me TCU and Georgia Tech high majors over the mid majors in that one. And then a TCU championship over Damon Stoudemire and the yellow jackets at Georgia tech storylines here. Can TCU respond after losing Mike miles jr. After losing Eddie Lampkin in the transfer portal, losing in the second round of the NCAA tournament last year to Gonzaga. Like let's see what this TCU team can do under coach Dixon. Can they turn things around? And then Georgia tech, Really interested. We talked about Georgia Tech recently on the show. We've been doing a series uh, discussing new head coaches and kind of what their what the situation looks like at their program and how they might do in year one. And Georgia Tech's a really interesting one. Ton of different transfers. Very new roster for them. But of course, Damon Stoudemire, a guy whose record doesn't jump off the page from his time coaching at Pacific. But as we alluded to, Pacific really, really hard school to coach at. And he did really well with the resources that he had. I'm not saying he turns Georgia Tech around in year one necessarily, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that program on an upward trajectory. And we might see glimpses of that as soon as Christmas time, especially if they get a chance to to play well against UMass and maybe really uh, seriously challenge TCU for a championship in that tournament. So we got a pair of graduate transfer guards who just hit the transfer portal once again this offseason in Mike Meadows and Keith Glover. Where might they end up? We're going to discuss that after a word from today's sponsor, Bird Dogs. Folks, let's not beat around the bush. Bird Dogs shortened pants, they make you look and feel good. I just got my first pair of pants and they are legitimately insanely comfortable and they feel cool even in the dead heat of the summer. Bird Dog's stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, and they give you a truly sculpted look. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of stiff, restricting cotton. How? Well, Bird Dog's fixed that issue by inventing cloud-knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so that you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird Dog's also uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. So go to birddogs.com slash college or enter the promo code LockedOnCollege for a free white Bird Dogs hat with your order. Again, that's birddogs.com slash college or promo code college for a free white Bird Dogs hat. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. Bird Dogs, proud sponsor of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, folks, segment three here, still Andy Patton, still Locked On College Basketball. And we're switching away from previewing the six ESPN MTEs that had their brackets and matchups revealed over the week. And we're instead going to close out the show talking about a pair of graduate transfer guards who are re-entering the transfer portal. Yes, folks, it is August 9th, as I am recording this, August 10th or 11th, as you are all listening to this. And there's still players entering the transfer portal. 
there are still players who are suddenly available for teams that have open scholarships, that have a need in the backcourt. They're two really big name guys just became available. We'll talk about Mike Meadows first. Mike Meadows is a six foot two guard from Hollywood, California. He has spent four years in college at two different schools, but under one head coach that is Shante Leggins. Uh, Mike Meadows began his career at Eastern Washington, of course, under Coach Leggins. Didn't play basically at all as a freshman, but blossomed as a sophomore. Ten and a half points per game, two and a half assists, shot 37% from three. Transferred to UP to follow Coach Leggins, who got the head coach job replacing Terry Porter. Really solid in his two years with the Pilots. Very similar production to that sophomore year at Eastern. Ten and a half points per game, three boards, 2.7 assists. 34% from three in his two years combined was about 36.5% as a senior in his final year. He entered the transfer portal shortly after the season and has had kind of a whirlwind since then. He initially committed to LMU, changed his mind, re-entered the portal, and then committed to Cal. Has been on Cal's roster for the last couple of months, but then suddenly re-entered the transfer portal yet again just a few days ago. I know some people will think that this is in some way connected to the fact that Cal is basically conferenceless after what happened to the Pac-12. And while it may be, I don't know Mike Meadows' exact reasoning for leaving Cal, but he is a grad transfer with only one year of college basketball eligibility remaining, so he will play... Cal will play in the Pac-12 next year regardless. So his decision to leave, he wasn't really impacted by that, I guess is the best way to put it. The other player who is available now in the transfer portal is Keith Glover. Keith Glover uh, is a 5'11 guard from Knoxville, Tennessee. He spent two years at Florida in a bit role, didn't play much. 51 games for the Gators, but only about 11 minutes per game, three and a half points. Uh, Transferred to Samford after a couple of years there in the Southern Conference and absolutely blossomed. The kind of transfer that we've talked about with like a Pajemski and other players who have transferred down to a lower level and just completely starred at their new place. Glover goes to Samford in the 21-22 season. He averages 19 points per game, four and a half assists, 2.8 boards, shoots 52% on two-pointers, about 31% from three. And then in his senior season this last year, 22-23, he only played 19 games due to injuries. His minutes per game dropped from about 32 to about 25. And with that came a production drop as well. He's about 15 points per game, two assists, two and a half boards. Uh, But he did shoot 38% from three. And I think that's key when looking at Glover as a potential addition right now, a guy who lit it up from beyond the arc. He didn't do that at Florida. He didn't do it in his first season at Samford. So a team who is signing him right now is banking on that 38% that we saw from him last year sticking, because if it doesn't, it makes him a lot less valuable, especially as a guy who's only five foot 11. Glover initially committed to BYU, of course, joining the big 12 next year, but then It is being reported that he is going to enter the portal. I should clarify very quickly. It is not 100% certain that he is going to, that he is in the transfer portal, but it sounds like that is the direction that Glover is planning to go. Now, in terms of teams that might need another guard, there are a handful of them. The first one that pops up is Gonzaga. Gonzaga, of course, has some connection to both these players having played faced Mike Meadows for the past two seasons while he was at Portland, of course, Glover, choosing to go to the BYU where he is not in the WCC anymore, but it would have been an opponent that just missed Gonzaga, I guess the best way to put it. Regardless, Gonzaga needs a third guard. 
Ryan Nemhard's going to run the point guard and he's going to play 35 minutes a night and he's going to be awesome. Nolan Hickman was the point guard last year. He's going to shift to more of an off ball role, kind of starting at the two. Outside of that, the depth in the guard room for Gonzaga is a bit limited. They have Dusty Stromer, top 50 prospect, coming in out of the class of 2023. How much will Mark Few play a true freshman in year one? He hasn't historically done it all that much. They also have Steel Venters, a transfer they landed from Eastern Washington. Venters is more of a three, not as much of an actual guard. So finding a third guard, and they've been active. They were in on Paul Mulcahy before he went to Washington. They were in on Joe Toussaint before he went to Texas Tech. They were in on Jeremiah Williams before he went to Rutgers. They were in on Jose Perez before he decided to stay at West Virginia. So now could they be in on Mike Meadows, a guy they've seen a bunch of lately, a six foot two guard who's consistently shot over 35% from three. Wouldn't shock me. Would Meadows want to go from a mid-level team in the WCC to the very best team in the WCC? Probably, but he might get some attention from other places. Glover could be a fit for Gonzaga as well if they wanted to, but again, his size might be a limiting factor there. A couple other teams that are in need of some, some veteran experience in the backcourt pit stands up. They, they, they don't have a lot of shooting, so whichever of these players they felt more comfortable as a spot-up shooter for them in an off-ball role, I think could make some sense. St. Louis, we talked about St. Louis earlier in the show. They could use some veteran experience, and they were connected to Mike Meadows before he went to LMU slash Cal. So it wouldn't be surprising to see them once again re-engage in conversations with Meadows. UNLV has a very deep, very experienced team, but their point guard is Didon Thomas, who's a 2024 reclass. So very, very young at the point guard position. Could they add somebody like Glover or Meadows to give them a more experienced team heading into next season? New Mexico State always comes up on these lists because their entire team hit the transfer portal after a disastrous season last year. They got cut short in February because of significant hazing allegations and a coach that really didn't seem to have any control over his program uh, for the Aggies to get back into any kind of com- competition, especially now in Conference USA. They need to go get as many different guys as they can. Either Glover or Meadows would be a tremendous addition to Jason Hooten's squad. And finally, I'm going to toss no- Notre Dame out there as well. Notre Dame lost Cormac Ryan, who transferred to North Carolina. They lost J.J. Starling, who transferred to Syracuse. The only guard they've brought in is Julian Roper, a solid transfer addition there. They got some incoming freshmen as well, but if they wanted to add some experience to their backcourt, either Meadows or Glover seems like they would fit quite well for first-year head coach Micah Shrewsbury and with the Fighting Irish. Folks, that is going to wrap us up for today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to make the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Isaac Shade will be back next, uh, or excuse me, on Friday with a guest talking more conference realignment. We'll be back next week with some coach interviews, with some NIL conversation, with various other fun stuff coming your way as we get closer and closer to the start of the college basketball season. For now, though, as always, peace out.